All through Advent, we have been talking about the songs of Christmas. We listen to the songs of Jeremiah and Isaiah, prophets of God who looked beyond the devastation and despair of their times and sang in hopeful expectation of a reality of peace and justice that God would bring about through the coming of a Messiah, a King, a Savior. We listen to the songs of Zechariah and his son, John the Baptist, songs of good news, one full of wonder and expectation, and one that called us to prepare for the coming one by repenting our sins and changing our lives. We also heard the songs of two women, Elizabeth and Mary, who sang songs of praise for the blessings that they had received, blessings that would overflow from their lives to the lives of their people and to the world. Their songs reminded us of our blessings and encouraged us to bless others. And finally, on Christmas Eve, we heard the whole story, the ultimate Christmas song, the song of God that is sung to us, for us, and with us the song of one who loves us enough to enter into our messy, painful lives so that they might be transformed. In Jesus, God sang then and sings now, do not be afraid, I am with you. Take heart, I will not leave you. Be at peace, I love you. Having heard these songs, it seems only appropriate that we respond with our own songs, our own variations, if you will. So what shall we sing? I think today's scripture reading offers us some clues. I'm going to back up a little bit here to the beginning of the third chapter of Colossians, and it begins with an exhortation. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. The reference here is to baptism. When we go under the water, we die to Christ. We rise to Christ. We die to our old lives. We rise to the new lives. And the author of Colossians goes on to describe that act as a stripping off of the old self with its practices, after which we clothe ourselves with a new self, which is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of its creator the image of clothing. Hmm. When I was a kid, getting clothes on Christmas was not my idea of a good Christmas present. Anybody else feel that way? Getting clothes like, yeah, yeah. (laughs) That view has changed, of course. I'm happy to get clothes on Christmas. And so I can appreciate the author's instruction to put on the new clothes of a Christ-like life. Instead of sweaters and socks, however, we are invited to clothe ourselves with the qualities that we see in Jesus, with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. This is easier said than done, of course. To practice the compassion of Jesus means reaching out beyond our comfort zone to help those we find difficult to accept and maybe even those who do not deserve our help. Likewise, practicing the kindness of Jesus means being kind, not just to those who appreciate us and who are grateful, but also to those who cannot reciprocate 
and who are not at all grateful. Practicing humility is something of a balancing act because unfortunately it's all too easy to take pride in being humble. As for meekness, well, none of us wants to be a doormat. And I must confess that there was many, many situations and occasions during the holiday season when I was not at all patient. He's smiling down there, he knows. <laughs> What's more, we are called to clothe ourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience all of the time, not just when we feel like it. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds like a pretty difficult song to sing, one that we will undoubtedly fail to sing in tune or maybe not sing at all, which is why I'm grateful that the next verse encourage us, encourages us to practice forgiveness. Lord knows I need to be forgiven and to forgive more often than I care to admit. But truth be told, we all do. Thank God for the gift of forgiveness that we have received through Christ, a gift that enables us to let go of our anger and forgive each other and be reconciled even with ourselves. All of these attributes, these garments, if you will, are ultimately held together, sewn together by love. Love which binds everything, Colossians says, in perfect harmony. Love that is the essence of God's song and by extension of our song. Above all, Colossians tells us, clothe yourselves with love. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, which in the words of the message, will keep you in tune with each other, in step with each other. Oh yes, and be thankful. Love, peace, gratitude, all are to be woven together in the song that we sing. Notice that all of the things that have been mentioned, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, forgiveness, love, peace, and gratitude, all of those are things that can be observed. Things that can, people can actually see and hear and experience. While Colossians encourages us to sing with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with gratitude in our hearts, our song is not meant to be a private one, sung only within the confines of this sanctuary. On the contrary, it is meant to be a very public song, a song that we sing every day, in every situation, to, for, and with everyone whom we meet. It's important. No, it's crucial that we sing this song of compassion and forgiveness and love and peace because so many of the songs we hear today are not songs that promote harmony and hope. On the contrary, too many of the songs that we hear sow discord and distrust and tear us apart too many songs encourage cynicism and indifference to the needs of others. Too many songs are sung to stir up fear and anger, and too many are full of despair and pain and hopelessness. I've been wrestling with one such song for a couple of days now. 
On Friday, I learned that one of my colleagues, Reverend John McFarlane, the pastor of Orenthorpe United Methodist Church in Fullerton, has been arrested on suspicion of child molestation. The incident allegedly took, some, took place some years ago and involved a family member, but apparently there is some concern that there may be other victims. Needless to say, I am shocked and dismayed, and I ache for John and his family, for his alleged victim, and for his church. I'm telling you this because some of you may already have seen this in the news or will see it or hear about it, and I believe that open com communication is vital in such situations. Our administrative assistant will be forwarding a statement made uh, yesterday by our bishop, Grant Hygieia, but today I want to share, share an excerpt from that statement. He says, the United Methodist Church unequivocally opposes abuse or misconduct of any kind, especially against children. For that reason, we are engaged in this matter as a prop priority, and we are fully cooperating with law enforcement. I have suspended Reverend McFarlane, effective immediately from all clergy duties and from his local church while investigations proceed. I am also sharing this word because I want you to know that the United Methodist Church as a whole and our church in particular, take the safety of our children and youth very seriously. We require background checks for all of our staff, myself included, even staff members that do not, who do not work with children and youth. In fact, we had to, to delay the hiring of our new nursery caregiver, um, Sarah Johnson, for uh, several weeks because we hadn't received the results of her background check and we needed to wait. We also require background checks for any volunteers who work with children. Training is available to our staff, and like most United Methodist congregations, our church has a policy in place which, among other practices, dictates that a child or youth should never be alone with a staff member, a nursery caregiver, or a Sunday school teacher. In other words, we are committed to do everything we can to ensure the safety of the children and youth who come to our church. Please know that I am ready to answer questions as best I can about this situation or about our practices and that I will keep you informed. Also, please know that I am aware that sharing this may open some wounds for some who have experienced abuse themselves and that I stand ready to listen and pray and do whatever I can to help. I ask you to pray for all concerned, even the alleged perpetrator, and I invite you to join me in prayer right now. Let us pray. Merciful God, we pray for those who are dealing with all the agony, anger, and fear that this kind of situation produces. Be with them, Lord. Please give strength, courage, and guidance where it is needed. Bring comfort and peace to those who are suffering and help all those involved. Let justice be done, but also let there be reconciliation and peace. And oh God, let your light shine and your song of love be heard even in this darkness. We pray all this in the name of Christ. Amen. 
If you are feeling overwhelmed right now, and I must admit that I am, it may help to remember that Jesus himself was born into a world of fear and distrust, suffering and despair. He grew up in a poor working class family in a country occupied by a foreign power. He saw poverty and pain, illness and hunger, abuse and oppression. And in the midst of all this, even in those times when he himself was oppressed and abused, he sang God's song, do not be afraid, I am with you. Take heart, I will not leave you. Be at peace, I love you. And Jesus didn't just sing that song, he embodied it. In life, in death, and now as our resurrected Lord and Savior, Jesus was and is God's song, singing a song of hope and joy and peace that rises above all the songs of despair and pain and hopelessness of our broken world. He sings the song of God's love to each of us and to all of us, for each of us, and for all of us, he sings for all people and for all of creation. We who hear Jesus' song are invited to join with him to sing songs of compassion and kindness, humility and meekness, patience and forgiveness, love and peace. We're called to sing even when we don't feel like it called to sing when we aren't sure if we are singing the right words and even when our notes are off key or our voices crack. We're called to sing when we are so full of anger and despair that we want to scream and curse. We're called to sing when we are overwhelmed by fear and grief and we can only produce a whisper. We are called to sing in every moment of our lives because God loves us and has come to us because the world needs to hear God's song, song that we carry in our hearts. And so my brothers and sisters, we are going to sing today, joining our voices together in the carols of the season, singing, yes, perhaps with a whisper, perhaps with cracked voices, but singing with joy, singing in gratitude and hope. I'm gonna invite you to begin by turning in our hymnals to number 230. And join me in singing in verse one and four of O Little Town of Bethlehem. And after that, well, you get to choose the carols. Let us sing together. <laughs> <laughs> 